Whitney. I'm Danielle. And we are the founders of Sakara Life, on a mission to nourish your body and transform your life. Sakara is a Sanskrit word that describes the action of turning your thoughts into things and manifesting your reality. We believe that who we surround ourselves with, what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, the information that we take in, impacts the way we think and therefore who we are. The conversations that follow are with bold thinkers who have had an impact on how we view the world, ourselves, and what it means to live the Saqqara life. The intention of these conversations is to push each of us to greater heights so that we can turn our thoughts into things and all shine our light a little brighter. We are so excited to be on this journey with you. Welcome to the Saqqara life. As many of you listeners know, here at Sakara, we believe in the importance of the quality of our food. Quality food comes from quality soil, quality water, quality farming practices, and we only use the freshest, most seasonal organic ingredients in everything that we do, which is why we are so grateful to our incredible farming partners whose values reflect our commitment to providing you all with the best, most nutritious meals while honoring the relationship and impact it has to Mother Earth. Whitney and I talk a lot about how important it is for all of us to understand the connection between food and our plate, the hands that make it, how it's grown. And today we are so excited to talk about this even more. In honor of those core values we have here at Sakara Life, today we have Molly Chester on the Sakara Life podcast. Molly is co-founder and farmer of Apricot Lane Farms, a regenerative biodynamic farm in California. And if you have not seen the documentary Biggest Little Farm, highly recommend it. It's all about how they brought this barren piece of land to be the regenerative farm it is today. This episode is a bit different than usual as we invited our head chef, Tyler Ranson, to sit down with Molly as they'll be discussing the complexities of our food system, farming, and why living with reverence for the earth is so important for long-term change. Please join me in welcoming Tyler and Molly Chester. So Molly, we always like to start each episode of the Sakara Life podcast by asking our guests about their mission, kind of your personal mission. So in a few sentences, I'd love to hear what do you feel is your mission on earth? Ah, oh, that's a good question. I think I probably would have given you many versions of this answer through the years, but at this stage in my life, I really see my mission to just keep coming alive and whatever wow. that means to me. So if that means that I'm draw, you know, I like this, I want to see what that does and follow that a little bit or just taking care of myself, having true connection, anything that brings more life into me because I've come to realize that's kind of all I have control over. And if each of us are doing that, that I trust what that would be. I love that. Just kind of finding what lights you up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like follow your bliss, Joseph Campbell world. Yeah. Well, it certainly seems like you've done that in your path, your kind of vocational path. Yeah. And I'd love to hear just you kind of give the audience the stage for how did you get into this line of work? How did you end up where you are today? So it was a lot of listening to like the small whispers that life gives you because it's not super obvious sometimes. Sometimes it is. But I just 
was a private chef. I wanted, well, actually, if I really go back, I struggled with different health issues in my 20s and was trying to solve that. And in solving that, I also had just moved to Baltimore. I had met my husband and was a little lonely. And I started turning to food and had made a connection at a very young age when I was literally like nine or 10. I started to realize that what I was eating affected how I felt. So I started following that to try to heal these health issues. And in doing so, I fell in love with food in general and went to a really great culinary school in New York City and learned all about both the health supportive sides of food and how to cook, then became a private chef. And then I knew I never wanted to be like the next top chef. I just wanted to really understand the medicinal sides of how we could affect our health through food. And then in going deeper into that, it really became about the choices that the farmer makes. I started to understand, oh my gosh, I can maximize nutrient density in the kitchen, but unless I'm starting with food that has nutrient density to begin with, I'm really not getting very far. So then we were looking for farmers that were really doing things in the way that we believed and we were finding some gaps of what we wanted. And so we talked about what if we get some chickens and then we teamed up with our partners and it turned into this like much bigger thing than we ever anticipated. But it just kept following the next right thing. And it became what this is, which has now become just my whole life and a love of my life for sure. And kind of my first child. (laughs) Just in that snippet, it helps me understand you're somebody who likes to get to the root cause of things and kind of like really, I mean, a nine or 10 recognizing that kind of like mind body connection through food is so powerful. And then kind of carrying that through to like, okay, but like, where is this actually coming from? I'd love for you to share too, just like in a couple of sentences, your particular approach to farming, your kind of farming ethos. And it's probably evolved over your time, but where is it today? Yeah, it started really, I knew I wanted the farm to be organic and researching that I realized that the organic, a very positive thing is really about like, you can't use this chemical and you can use this less toxic, maybe more natural chemical. And I wanted something a little more. So we looked then into biodynamics And in biodynamics, it really um, became about the ecosystem of the farm and how you develop fertility within that ecosystem, which nowadays has come to be known as regenerative in a lot of ways. The essence of biodynamics, which is so amazing to me, is it also brings in the moon cycles, even the cosmos, which is kind of like infinitely inspiring. But For me, it's every day. It gets simple when you start actually working with land because you realize it's a relationship. And so every day I'm just going out the door and trying to deepen my understanding of this particular land. You pull from resources from all over the place to do that. But it really is ecosystem farming where you're trying to build the fertility from inside of where you are And then you're just trying to bring life into each aspects of the farm and find the harmony within the elements that you have so that they develop their own energy cycle. Yeah, no, and it seems like it's something our country 
outside of the outliers, like you, has just not been able to figure out. Like, I remember traveling to Italy on a trip with my family a few years back and just being so struck by, we were in the Parma region, and being so struck by, like, the ecosystem that was in place. It was like, okay, the Parmesan gets made here, and then the ways go to the pig farm, and the pigs are eating the acorns that are on the land. Like, it was just so kind of in um, harmony, and that just doesn't exist in many places in our country. But I'd love to hear you just talk a little bit more about that connection between like the health of our bodies and soil health and what that really means and how that shows up. Yeah. I mean, the the background that I had with food was actually really beneficial because what you learn is that the soil, what you're really farming is those top 10 to 12 inches of soil out there. You're really focused on how do I develop the fertility in that because that is going to feed the trees. The trees are, trees are beautiful. They basically just like want to be appreciated. They want to be in like good energy around them, but they're very reliant on that microbial health in the soil to provide them with nutrition. So if you focus on that, that's like everything. And so when I learned that that is what's going on out on the land, and then I had the understanding that kind of farming my own gut is how I can build health within myself, you sort of have a natural in. I can always tell when I'm interviewing someone for a different position, if they say something like, well, I just got to this place and I I was really struggling with my health in this way. And then I started focusing on figuring out my gut. And they may not even know much about what's the soil element out in the field yet, but they kind of already have made the connection that you're eventually going to make out there. And you can pull so many of the same principles from like working with your body to working with your land. And so that was like a foundational direction And then when you start to get deeper into that, it really becomes about listening because you have to observe and watch the nuances of the land or if you're dealing with your body to figure out what it's needing and then stay in response to that because this is a living organism that's around you and it has a rhythm already going. And when we come in and just dominate that rhythm, which honestly, at the beginning of the farm, there were elements where we did that, where we went in and we said, oh, we want this to be A, you know, and we started putting A into that that area. And now when we develop a piece of land, we take a lot of time. We'll go out, just spend time with it. We'll walk around, see what plants are already there. We'll start to engage and relate to it. And then through that, we start to figure out, oh, this might be the most appropriate thing. Because nature left to its own devices, it takes a really long time to make evolution. So there's definitely a beautiful part that humans play with our consciousness to engage in it. I don't necessarily think that it's like, oh, you go completely hands off. We are nature and it wants to relate to itself. So we want to get into that space with nature, but then doing that with a sense of humility and a sense of real curiosity, we can get so much further and not have to kind of unwind what we already started. (laughs) Yeah, no. And as, as you're talking about this, I'm just so struck by the parallels 
with how we talk within our business and to our clients about the microbiome and, you know, what's actually inside our bodies. It's such like a microcosm of something like a regenerative farm. And, you know, the same thing where people can eat our food that's so nutrient dense. I mean, we use over 700 unique plant-based ingredients across our menu. You know, it's something you have to do over time to feel the effects. And then it's kind of these like puts and takes, like everybody is different. But I love thinking about the connection there. So powerful. I'd love to just hear you kind of speak a little bit more from your perspective about just why plant-based or plant more plant-driven. I know you raise animals and your approach is, is a little bit different from ours, but I think philosophically it's similar and kind of like really looking critically at how the meat industry works in our country and what it, it means to eat in a way that's thoughtful in terms of our food ecosystem. Yeah, sure. I was a vegetarian when I was nine. That was part of it is that I said, I am a vegetarian. And <laughs> I went down that route until I was 24, 25. And for my body, I came to was understand that health not only- or was it for other reasons? Uh, I was very young. So one, I had a friend who was not eating animals. And so I thought, or actually they were just not eating eggs, I think. And I thought, oh, eggs are chickens. And I sort of zoned in. I was trying to figure Connecting that out. Connecting it and, all. <laughs> yeah. But it was more, I used to say, oh, I just don't like it. I just don't like it. But mm -hmm. I think I was wrestling with the esoteric meanings of what was going on in that. But then over time, I, at that stage, you know, it was a lot of soy crumble and soy dogs and all these things. And I landed myself with a really significant soy allergy, which messed with my hormones. And then in that I had PCOS. And eventually I realized for my body, it started with, the, I found the blood type diet and I was an O and they're meat eaters. And so all this came together and I realized, I think animal foods are important to me. That's my body needs animal foods. So I had to get really quiet and comfortable with truly eating a bird. I remember like, I'm going to go back to meat. So what does that mean? Yeah. And I sat with it and understood that, okay, if I'm going to do this, then I need to be honoring this animal. And then I need to live kind of my highest light of what I'm doing so that it's honoring the energy that it gave me. And in that I started back towards animal foods and then I eventually found more traditional foods. So I learned about eating whole animals and what benefit that is. And then when you start farming, you realize that there's really only two ways to fertilize your land. And it's either petroleum-based fertilizers, which means you're tapping into the oil yeah. industry, or it's animals. You can get to a certain place with some vegetable mulch and things like that, but it's kind of like every body is different. You know, yeah. not every plant would thrive in that way too. And not every piece of land would thrive in that way. So the start of the farm came from a very deep place of understanding the cycle of life and being comfortable stepping back inside of that. Because I really have recognized that even in vegetable production, there is death. And you have to get comfortable that like, okay, if I'm going to engage here and try to get the maximum nutrition for myself, I'm going to have to absorb that there is a death and life cycle. 
And then inside of that, how do I do that with the most respect possible so that I can not add to that grief? (laughs) So it started from there. But then you also, when you work with land, you realize that that piece of land really can only handle so much animal input too, that you can only raise a certain number of cows on that grass that you have. And you can only raise so many chickens or else the health of the eggs that you're producing or the bird's life is suffering. And so it's sort of self-regulating in that way. Mm -hmm. But it's also amazing how much you can produce healthfully in harmony and then provide to your neighbors and your community. And so like what would happen if more people were just working with their plot of land, doing what their land needed to create harmony, and then sharing what that is, it would create a patchwork around the world of these local foods. And then sure, we may still have a global food chain. You know, I just took a trip this past weekend. We all are kind of mobile, but it would develop us so much further. And so, yeah, yeah, that's kind of the No, and I I loved in your documentary that you did not shy away. You and John did not shy away from death and that that's the reality of this ecosystem as well and just honoring it and really, you know, I think that's one of the issues with our food system right now, especially in our country, is just there's no transparency. I think if you were to go and ask a random person on the street, like, how do beans grow? What do they grow on? You know, they would think of like a can and not have no context for like, what does that plant look like? What is the root of this? So I feel like that intentionality is such a key part of it. And then the kind of like honor for the system and not trying to gloss over or obscure like any of the pieces because they're all working and tangent with each other. Yeah, I think the other thing that popped into my head as you were talking was just the scalability. Like you said, there are these people who are doing this. I would say on the whole in our country, you know, as people have tried to scale things agriculturally, that has meant monocrops that has led to the corn belt that's led to all these things. So I'd love to hear you talk about kind of like how you think about that and scale and like, what does it mean in a business context in the context of like our agricultural just environment in our country? I really stay focused on what is working and what does that mean? And for me, this is the only way that truly inspires me is to be very connected to this land. And I have found that I don't have the desire to keep expanding and expanding and expanding the land because I'm just kind of getting full. Like I have enough children and I got I got to like make sure they all have food enough and water animals. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then that lets me know, okay, that's my limit. And then I love the fact that when we go, so we did this film, The Biggest Little Farm, it's my husband's work, and it was beautiful. And people that have watched that, then we open up on Saturdays, and they come to the farm. And you would not believe the number of people. I mean, every single Saturday, I go there, and it'll be like, I took over my aunt's farm because I watched the film, or I got inspired. And so then I bought 50 acres, I put in a porch garden, I 
you know, over and over and over and over the amount of people that are farming on these small scales. And that came from just the expression of love. My husband didn't say one word about like anybody else's choices because I don't know what the right answer for the world is. Like I'm not here to profess that there's some reason why we shouldn't be doing, I mean, I might have a few opinions in there, but like, (laughs) you know, we shouldn't be doing certain things. But like, we just said like, here's what we love. And we truly love this land. And to be able to have this gift, because now my husband's doing a series that will be out on Disney Plus in a little bit. And so we have this team of people around here, like videoing the smallest spider to like the rhythms of the cows or whatever it is. And we get to learn about this land. And the more that you come to just embrace the natural world and like look at what is happening out there and the intricacies of it, you can't help but want to protect it. And so if I just keep doing that and then just sharing what that is, then what will someone else do and what will that look like rather than like, because there's reasons why we got to monocrops, you know, there's maybe we lost our connection to nature. And so then people were just trying to make food cheaper and we landed where we landed and no judgment to what that was. But like, if we remember the natural world and remember the power that's inside of that, I mean, we were able to turn around this piece of land faster than I ever could have imagined just with like intentionality that took 50, 60 years to degrade it to the point that it was. What happens if all of us start like just increasing our consciousness about our remembrance of the natural world? I mean, I think we could live in a very magical place. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to live there. <laughs> oh my gosh. And for like any of the listeners who haven't seen the documentary, I mean, it truly is like, I felt like I walked away with that of like, maybe could I do this? Like, could I start a farm? (laughs) You know, like what would the Saqqara farm look like? And it really is. I mean, it's shot so beautifully, but it's just, it really takes you through like all these different pieces and how they're, they're working together and the fine balance in such a beautiful way. But I'd love to, for you to just share some more about regenerative farming practices and kind of Mm -hmm. like, what does that mean? Like, what are cover crops? Like, what are these kind of buzzwords that probably some of our listeners have heard, but would love you to share more about that? Totally. In a lot of ways, there's many things that we do that are kind of really just pulled back from traditional ways of doing things. We certainly embrace science too, and we're studying everything that we're doing and use big compost tea makers and things that certainly people didn't have way back when. But there's common principles that you'll find whenever you're just restoring the land, one of which is cover cropping. It's basically just kind of like a living mulch. You're just putting in plants into areas where maybe it's in between tree rows where you just wouldn't have necessarily had anything there because it's basically covering the soil. Anytime you have bare soil, it's being baked out by the sun and it's not able to hold nutrition in there. It's not able to flower so that you're bringing in beneficial insects, which creates a harmony between predators and prey kind of in the insect world. And then when it rains, we literally sequester 
all of the water that comes onto this land and enables it to flow back into the aquifer rather than just running off the property. So cover crops are a beautiful thing. And then you get into that and you realize there's a whole world of nuance of like, what cover crops are you using? And then does this tree like it or does this tree not like it? But there's basics that just using them, whether you have a garden at home and putting in some cover crops and then while you're resting in the winter, maybe, or if it's a area where it just gets too cold, then you do it on rotation. So you add them in to build back the biology of the soil and you can turn those even under the soil to add some organic matter down into your soil. So cover crops are great. You can go on and on there. We embrace the wildlife of our community because you actually find that the wildlife keep your pests, like animal pests, like a gopher or a ground squirrel, it can help keep it in check. So we have like owl boxes all around. We have the coyotes. We've come into harmony with them because they're like our larger predator. So that's a big one. Then we really come to study and understand the nutrients in our soil so that we can feed them what they need to be able to thrive. Because lots of times you just have a nutrient deficiency. We do use compost tea on the regular. Compost tea is as simple as kind of like manure in a bucket and you're like, turn it around. But then we do it on <laughs> Such like a, a nice much euphemism, larger... compost tea. Yeah. yeah, we talk about a lot of things at our lunch table. We have like a farm lunch on Monday through Thursdays and you wouldn't believe the area. I can go almost everywhere except for abscess of an animal. I need a break on that whenever I'm eating lunch. But um, pretty much every other conversation is on it's the table. Game. Yeah. Yeah. Compost tea is a big one for us and we'll add um, kelp. Sometimes we'll use salt water for different things that can add a lot of life. We study things with like, what are our sugar levels to understand what they are? It's just, it's an exploration of land and yeah. Yeah, no. And I think that's, I mean, that's one of the first things when we're vetting a new vendor on, on the produce side you know, like, what are your pest management systems? Like, that's such an important thing in our country because organic is probably the best kind of, like, first line of defense to really know that Roundup isn't being sprayed across, like, everything that you're eating. But even organic allows for, I think it's up to 25 non-synthetic pesticides. And so, we try to go a level deeper to really understand like, okay, are you using integrated pest management? And I loved in your documentary, the like visuals of the snails being eaten by the ducks where it was just like, okay, we have snails all over the trees. Like what on this farm can solve that problem without us putting a synthetic chemical into a spray system and just going at it that way. It's like such a thoughtful way to approach it. <laughs> Yeah, it's all kind of like, my husband always says, like, there's no right and wrong, there's only consequences. And that's what, yeah. when you when you get down there, what you realize is that we've sort of lost sight of how much power and autonomy and agency we have within the preventative measures that you can do on a farm. And when you choose, like us, to say, okay, we are not going to use these other things, it creates a boundary in your life where creativity starts to thrive. Because then you're like, oh, if I can't just 
take the antibiotic and get my way out of here. I have to like really be nurturing this along the way. And so we're always, every problem that we have, we're maybe approaching it from like five or six different directions to build the health of that tree. You're basically like farming immune systems. You're farming immune systems of our animals, of our trees, of our people. Like we've realized that The people, the human ecosystem of what we have here is like our greatest strength. So we spend so much time focusing on that organizational health and what does that mean and how we can have more access to our, to help our people have opportunities to evolve and change so that then that's reflected in the trees. Like I said, the trees just want to be in like a non-toxic environment and that includes the emotional health of our people and the emotional stability of John and I as founders too. So we've had personal counselors and couples counselors and business coaches and body workers. And we've had to put everything into being where we are because we didn't really take the the quicker way out because we were seeing the consequences that were coming down the line for us doing that. The parallels with the human health are so powerful. I mean, the the number of clients that we have come to us that say, you are our last resort. Like we try, I tried everything. I've been dealing with this health issue forever. And when you talk about like losing sight of the preventative measures, it's so simple. It's like, what are the ingredients I'm putting into my body? And people can get so far down the path. And so medication and, you know, of course has its place, but people can just fall down that rabbit hole and they're just putting band-aids on top of band-aids. And then, you know, there's the solution all the way at the front end of the line that you've completely lost sight of. Totally. Happy holidays to Carolites. If you've been with us for a while, you now know that Black Friday is the one time that we have a site-wide sale. And it is 25% off everything on Sakara.com. Our nutrition program, our bars, our drops, and our holiday classics like the cult favorite holiday popcorn trio, one of my personal favorites. And as a bonus, when you subscribe to our meals, you can schedule your deliveries for the month of December ahead of time and you get 25% off every week in December. So you can really get ready (laughs) for those holidays. And, you know, when it's time to go out to the holiday parties, you'll feel great. So take advantage of this amazing limited time offer. Use the code BFPODCAST at checkout on all products and programs to give yourself and your loved ones the gift of transformation through food as medicine. This offer is valid through November 28th this year, 2022. And is valid for everyone, whether you're new or have been a Sakaralite for years. Happy shopping and happy holidays, everyone. And I'm sure you too. I mean, I know you have, I, I believe you have a CSA. You know, people who are coming to your farm to purchase your product are probably coming to you with similar stuff where they're like, feeling that nutrient density and it's like changing the health of their bodies. Totally. We don't actually have a CSA because we don't really need one because we sell all of our food direct through farmer's markets, but we are oh, in amazing. farmer's markets yeah. throughout the United States. And there's a few are like our avocado oil and olive oil. We do choose to ship, but then the rest of everything we're able to do locally. Well, 
Just hearing you say local, I would really love to hear the way you think about local. Like, I think that this has been a drum that's been beaten across the culinary industry, I feel like, for a while of like farm to table and eat local. I personally have felt like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, that is such a catch all and it's such a complex web. But I'd love to hear how you think about that and. As you're thinking about like, okay, like shipping outside of like our local community, like what does local mean? Like what and how does that fit in the context of also just trying to increase accessibility for people who live in food deserts and everything else? Totally. That's a great question. I've thought a lot about this because you have to make those kind of like moral choices as a company. And what does, what are, what is it? <laughs> what is it meant to be? So yeah. we started everything for me. I'm very, very inspired by getting food locally because it started whenever I had a garden in the backyard and I could go out and like pick snap peas and come back inside and had like euphoric experience of just how good that food <laughs> is. Because from a culinary perspective, being as close to your food source as you can possibly be is by far and away the most delicious ingredient. Like the, we just are, we have a cookbook coming out in the fall called the Apricot Lane Farms Cookbook. It'll be out October 25th. And it really is just a reflection of us cooking from this ecosystem for a decade. And that becomes the relationship with the ecosystem. And you realize that the most important ingredient inside of that is just eating food when it's meant to be grown because yeah. that's when it's delicious. And then you can prepare it simply from there. So that's what inspires me. And then as you go through what your company is and what you have to offer, we then realized that I was comfortable. I'm comfortable with like, I want to sell what we have here because we can. We don't need to develop a like shipping of produce across the country because we can sell it all right here. So why would yeah. we... Why would we do that? But then we had certain items that we were able to produce in larger scale. And I recognize that there is a global food chain. Like there is that, that exists at this point. And so there's yeah. certain items that are non-perishable that we're able to then ship. And so we then make sure that our packaging is as environmentally friendly as we possibly can. And we recognize that we're raising the game. It's kind of like some people get down, it's like, oh, Walmart sells organics now. And it's like, what? Why are we downing that Walmart sells organics? That's fantastic. Because <laughs> yeah. if I can raise the game with what is in that global food chain, then I'll keep raising the game. And someday, yeah. if we are all able to eat just right in our community because we've developed that, then great. We have no need for that anymore. But I have a feeling with the fact that we fly across the country, <laughs> you know, all the time, that we probably still will need a global food chain. So we yeah. do try to participate as environmentally friendly as possible and with the highest quality ingredients as possible into that at least regional food chain. But then otherwise, anything that we can sell direct, our focus stays here. And what is most inspiring to our team is that connection of showing up at the farmer's market and meeting your customer and talking to them about what's fresh and you know, that was right. I'm not going to ship anything that I think is less quality than what you could get if you were walking up to the market. That makes complete sense. I was actually on a farm this past weekend. Corn is like in prime season right now. And so we were picking corn and just like, it was going right into the kitchen, which with anybody with a food background, I mean, that it doesn't get any better than that. But I was joking that 
corn is like buying a car where like, you know, you drive off the lot and the value goes down by like 80% or something. <laughs> it's like it's that's how I feel about corn. Like when you eat it and you've picked it, you know, 30 minutes prior, like you can't replicate that that flavor. But no, I love that that approach. It just is the idea of local is so, so important, but it's so complex. Like I think it's something, you know, as a company, like we we try to be super thoughtful about. And obviously our model is really different from yours, but even with our vendors and kind of talking to them about like what what is right here what's not even what's right as you said i don't think it's right or wrong it's just how do we do this with intentionality and try and make the best decision we can weighing all these options like one example that's standing out to me we have this greens vendor that we've worked with for i think over 5 years now who's really scaled with us and they were kind of looking at, they just did a a deep dive sustainability study on, okay, what would it look like to ship, work with some partner farms in California where you can grow greens year round and you don't have to use a greenhouse and ship those across the country versus growing these year round in Utica and upstate New York. And they actually found that the carbon footprint was greater for them to grow them quote unquote locally for us than to, you know, so it's, it's not always that straightforward. And it's, it's certainly a really complex web in our food system in a country as large as ours and everything else. Yeah. There really is no substitute for that right from the farmer's market. Like Exactly. And you don't make, yes, we are, we kind of are a, um, we're a super kind of high-end brand as far as like we don't cut any corners. So like what we're doing with chickens in the field, you know, they get the tops. But <laughs> then there's certain elements like when we were deciding we had because lemons, we can't sell all of our lemons direct. We have more lemon trees than we can we can mm. do with our customers at the markets and yeah. even the local businesses that we use. So there's pack houses nearby that you can send your lemons, but then there's no honoring of what effort goes into that because all they have is like an organic premium. So you get a little bit of a bonus for it being organic, but we are making zero on all the effort that we put into these lemon trees. So we started saying, let's figure out a lemonade. But then it's really tricky right now because the technology hasn't caught up to be able to use either aluminum or glass for the bottles. So then we were like, ah, we can't do this at all. And then that didn't feel like the answer either because we have this opportunity to be able to take our good lemons, take local honey, and have those be the ingredients in the lemonade, whereas people are drinking these lemonades, which are like terribly filled with all sorts of things that we don't want to eat. And so we chose at this point, what we can do is we can do a recycled bottle that's recyclable to be able to be cold pressed because I didn't want to pasteurize that product and have it be just completely counter to us. But we've made that choice to say, okay, that's what we can do right now to be able to get this product into the market in the most quality way. And then we will watch the industry as much as we can. And as soon as there's an opportunity to switch to another bottle of some sort, we will do so. But we know that the product that somebody is drinking is done with as much consciousness as possible and with the ingredients that are going to nourish that body. So those are the kind of things when you get into a business that you have to look creatively and not make very good the enemy of great, they always say. And that's a lesson for me because I've got a perfectionist bent in my body. And I can assure (laughs) you that 
everything that we are doing on this farm, we are doing the authentic way that we are presenting it because to almost the annoyance because of the type of person I am. So I think so (laughs) deeply about those choices of like, what are we representing? Like, who are we? What are we putting into the world? You know, do I believe in that? I think it's important because it's what, again, it's like what makes me come alive and me coming alive is my job here. And then I want all of us to be doing that so that I can eat your food too. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the whole time I was like, I was just envisioning like what that lemonade tastes like. I will have to (laughs) to to try it. It sounds so incredible. It came from, because the first couple of years of the farm, because locally for us, we can get honey. And so I wanted to make a lemonade with honey and I couldn't figure out how to emulsify it. But if you put it in a blender, the lemon and the honey totally emulsifies. And so you can make this beautiful honey. So our original recipe was just like one cup lemon, one cup honey, six cups of water. And then we had to tweak it and get it perfect with what we yeah. uh, chose to use. But it's simple. Simple and is best. Yeah, it's great. Well, I feel like we could have a whole separate conversation about food, both being in the culinary space too, but I would love to hear about, I know you are a cookbook author. I'd love to hear how your culinary style has evolved, like kind of parallel to you started at culinary school in New York and now you are where you are. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, definitely. So originally it was about just interested in the medicinal side of how what you ate could affect how you felt. I was just so amazed by that. I watched, you know, changes in my health. I watched my mom heal some sinus issues by changing her diet. And it was just fascinating to me. But then as I went deeper into that, I found more like ancestral traditional foods and got really fascinated by soaking, sprouting, fermenting, all the ways that you can just increase nutrition in the kitchen. And then in going through that, it became about the farmer and the choices there. But the biggest evolution for me is once I really started cooking from a land, because when you do that, you find you really don't want anything from the grocery store. Like maybe, you know, we, we don't have dairy going on right now, so we'd get cheese or different things. But it's so much better to eat the tomato that you have here that you'll just kind of wait until tomatoes come back in season. And then you start to really understand the rhythms of food and how food is really intended to be eaten as far as what Mother Nature provides. And so as that relationship developed, it completely changed my eating style because I do eat seasonally because that's what's delicious. So we eat a ton of cucumbers like right now and tomatoes because that's what's in season. And then when it goes away, we're on to our fall fruits are starting to come in. So our figs, persimmons, pomegranates, apples. And so then you get into that. My son knows, he knows like he was so sad one year because because of life circumstances, he didn't get enough loquats one spring. And he was so sad because he's like, oh my gosh, I missed the loquats because then you have to wait a whole year. It becomes that excitement of like what's coming next. So that changes you. But then there's even these more subtle things that happen. Like I am in my forties now and my nutritionist said, maybe add chase tree in supplement into your diet because it's like a hormone balancer and So I started taking it. My body was like, no, I do not like that. So I tried like half a pill and a quarter pill and it still didn't like it. Then one day I was down at our garden 
And I saw this one plant, a Vitex tree that I always loved. And I looked up my picture of this app to like learn more about it. I was just, I don't know. That's what I do. But I, <laughs> I looked into it and it was the berry that's on it is the chase berry. And I was like, oh my gosh, Vitex is the chase berry. That fall, I watched them. I harvested them. I made a tincture out of it, dried them for tea, and then started using that. And my body completely was fine with it. It was, I had no problems. And that's what it is with an ecosystem is like, you can't actually, I know this goes all the way and that I'm like the extreme version of being able to tell you and show you what like mother nature can do when in relationship with us. But like, that's what it is. It's like, I am giving you what you need around you. And so like eat this and it's going to be different, a different experience because there's energy properties to food. And that's what probably has changed the most. And that's where in this, this book, it really is just like a reflection of this ecosystem. But the cool thing about California is like we can grow everything. Yeah. So the ingredients yeah. are things you can find all over the place, barring a few things that may be too local for you. Yeah, no, but I think it is this shift away from this kind of like scarcity mentality of like, I must have tomatoes year round. But then actually, the tomatoes you're getting year round are not actually tomatoes. Like they're like this watered down, like, you know, tough skinned, like they're just don't even resemble what you get on a farm like yours in peak season. And so it's kind of like shifting from that, like that scarcity mindset of like, I must have these things all the time to like this kind of abundance mindset of like what's coming and like, how do I get so excited about that? And how do I use that to nourish myself? And I love that. I certainly, that's kind of the way I approach it in, in my personal cooking. And I think we, we really do that at Saqqara through our menu as well. You know, it functions a little bit differently, but we try and like have as much of an infusion of seasonal recipes and I'm developing recipes nonstop. So as like we're coming up, you know, I'm really thinking about, okay, what are we going to have at our fingertips that we can put on the menu? Oh my gosh. I had that like chia pudding or something that you guys had one time. Whoa, yeah. That was really good. You guys <laughs> are definitely putting up barb chia pudding. It might have been that one, but it was yeah. it was because it was a couple months ago that I got the box, but it was so delicious. And even oh, the old bars so and all the food is truly so fresh and like lots of quinoa and stuff. It was it was really yummy. I mean, that's what you guys are doing it. You're putting fresh food out into the world. I mean, isn't it so much when somebody says like, how do you eat healthy? Before the farm started, I used to say, I just want to live in a world where I can go anywhere and actually eat food. Like if I go to a movie theater that I can get popcorn and it's actually just popcorn and butter or popcorn and olive oil or whatever it is. And that's like, if we can just get there where we take out the stuff uh-huh. that's like actually just not food, then that yeah. would be really Natural fun. flavors, quote unquote, whatever yeah. that means or yeah. <laughs> totally. I think like one, one thing I wanted to ask you because I loved just... I loved how hopeful the ending of your documentary was and that you end on this idea that it was 40 to 60 years of degradation and then eight years to like rebuild and totally regenerate. And I think in that vein, I'd love to hear just what is your hope for the future of farming and maybe like what suggestions you have for people like even in the micro decisions they're making around food or where they're buying their food that can help contribute to that? 
my hope for the future is that I think inside of us is this natural connection to nature that comes from really us listening to ourselves in a lot of ways and like really honoring and valuing our own self-worth and what we want and what we desire. And I think through going through the reconnection to ourself, we sort of naturally come into connection with the natural world. And I think through that remembrance, which hopefully is happening because I'm seeing that consciousness come like greater and greater and greater, more and more people will be inspired to to grow their own food or to visit the farmer's market for people that are the ones that want to go grow their own food because it's just the most, it's such a delicious way to be. And I would love to see that develop, like I was saying, like as a patchwork around the world so that I could go to, and see, it all comes back to like, it's all means to the end of what you want. Like I want to cook with great food. So I had to start an entire farm to like get myself (laughs) to that place. And it's like, I want to be able to go to Louisiana and eat what they have to offer from their local foods and go to, you know, wherever it is. And so I just want all those people to start like, coming alive and seeing what they can do uh, with food. I would love to see that. And then if they aren't into the food circuit, just any kind of remembrance of nature, whether it be like a walk outside or herbs on your porch or, you know, just being really loving to your animals that you have or whatever it means to you to just slow down for yourself by reconnecting to this beautiful experience that's all around us, that intentionality, I think, is going to take us really far. And then from there, you know, on a practical level, there's so many ways that you can you can kind of get closer to the source just of getting to the farmer's markets. That's like an amazing way reading your labels and having an idea of just like what is in your food, maybe just considering after you eat, like, how do I feel? Like, what does it feel like whenever I eat this? And what does it feel like whenever I eat that? Because we all have different versions of like consciousness, you know? And so some people are like super good at connecting to their family, which is like just as important as like what food you put in your mouth, you know? And so they have that consciousness that maybe some others of us need to like pay attention. How are they doing that? How are they intentional in that space to develop that relationship? Well, what I like to do is to develop that relationship with food, which brings me into the natural world. So maybe that's the tip they could take from me is like, just take a minute, just take a minute to reflect of like, I ate that Oreo and how did I feel? And not just the surface level of like, I felt great because it tasted amazing, but like truly how you felt. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Not just the 20 seconds afterwards. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And if we all do that a little and pause wow, it could be so fun to like figure out what works for each of our body together because it doesn't have to be all the same. No, and I think at a time where there's a lot of hopelessness around like the future and with climate change and everything, there is so much hope. I think, you know, something like your documentary, I think gives so much hope and and kind of inspiration for what we can do. I mean, I was reading an article recently too about how the Corn Belt is kind of moving north because of climate change. And as a result, a lot of farms are reverting to a style more like yours because just growing corn isn't working anymore. And so it's almost like nature, (laughs) nature knows and is somehow like, pushing us towards that anyways. Like there's so much hope in that and just like tapping into that knowledge that's just, you know, 
in and around us and the energy around us. Totally. We can grow by pain or we can grow by love, you know, yeah, like if, we, if we yeah. are changing, then the pressure comes in and kind of forces the change or else yeah. we can keep our attention focused on like what we love. And then that also is another method to get to change. But change, I believe in the X factor. That's what I, because I had a lot, I could go into a whole story about how much like panic I used to have as a child around climate change and things. And what I've come to is just like, I believe in the X factor. I believe in what happens whenever you put all of your intention towards change and towards where you want to go. And we may be all on different paces with that, with climate change, but I believe in the power of us as a collective. And I think that it's going to be really magical to watch what happens as more and more intention comes around making sure this land that we get to call home, which like just go look at a passion fruit flower and spend some time looking at it. And like, there's no way not to just like think this is the most magical thing I've ever seen in my life. And we live here. So like, why wouldn't we want to protect that? And we'll, we will keep remembering that we do. I know we will. (laughs) So we always end the podcast with a little bit of homework, but it's actually light work. So We'd love for you to share with our listeners what is one thing or maybe a practice that you want our listeners to incorporate into their lives. I wrote this poem for my son when he was first born. I was thinking about what I wanted for him. And there was a line in it that says to like listen to the whisper of God. And whether or not it's a higher power or whether you don't believe in a God and just connect to yourself with that whisper. It doesn't really matter to me, but I would love for us to listen, each of us, just to take a little time every day to listen to that whisper and what that whisper is asking from us and just maybe make minor steps based on that. And I just want to see where that goes. Molly, thank you so much. You're so welcome, Tyler. It was a pleasure to spend this time with you. And I love your passion for what you do. You guys are doing great work. And I just wish you all the best to keep it up. Oh, thank you. Well, same to you. And I'll be looking forward to seeing that cookbook and hopefully trying that lemonade. So much exciting stuff on the horizon, but wonderful getting to know you and chatting. Awesome. You too, Tyler. Take care. Bye. Today, we're getting back to the basics of Sakara, and so we wanted to share a bit about our Sakara Signature Nutrition Program for all of those listeners that are new to us. We created this program after healing ourselves to help others feel the same transformation that we experienced through the power of food as medicine. This program is based on the science behind a whole food, plant-rich diet and has been crafted around our proprietary nine pillars of nutrition which focuses on things like nutrient diversity and eating the rainbow, eating your water and getting enough sulfur-rich veggies into your diet, as well as cultivating body intelligence in order to have true mind, body, and soul transformation. The Sakara Signature Nutrition Program makes clean eating easy. It's entirely free from meat, gluten, dairy, refined sugar, pesticides, harmful chemicals, and GMOs. The menu is chef-crafted and changes weekly to highlight seasonal ingredients and recipes so you never have to sacrifice taste for eating healthy. 
If you're interested in learning more about our Sakara Signature Nutrition Program, head to sakara.com to see how you can customize the program to fit your needs and lifestyle. That's S-A-K-A-R-A dot com. And for a limited time, we wanted to give you all a gift of transformation. So use the code PODCAST20 at checkout for 20% off your first order of Sakara Life. I think so many of us are so busy these days trying to take care of the entire world around us, whether you're a busy professional or a mom. I encourage you to give this gift of nutrition to yourself. You deserve to feel amazing in your body. And when you nourish yourself, then you're able to better take care of the world around you and share your special gifts with the world.